Welcome back, Nexus News. I'm your host, Liam, and you are? Your father. Or Luke. And this week we have a lot going on. First up on the list, we have a Bible reading plan. We are going to be reading two chapters a day and sharing thoughts about it. Hmm, that sounds pretty crazy, man. I don't know about you, but uh, I sure do love reading the Bible and making it accessible and making it something that we can talk about and share as a church family. Phenomenal. I'm so excited to be able to do this through the YouVersion Bible app. If you have any questions or thoughts, and I know it's probably you're already starting a little bit late if you haven't joined us already, but believe me, we're not asking you to read everything all the time. We just want you to participate to the best of your ability. So if you miss a day, no big deal. If you're starting off five days later, it's not a big deal. We just want you to join the culture that we're creating of trying to read the Bible together through the day. So so please check out the Facebook page if you're on there, and uh, we'll have the information up there. All you have to do is hit the link, and it'll take you right to it. You accept, boom, you're in, in a part of it. If you don't have a version. Uh, Bible app, just go into your app store and you can find it on there. Super easy, super slick, and it doesn't take much time at all. So, Bible reading plan beginning this week. We started it on Friday, and you can catch up at any time and join us. Pretty cool stuff. What else we got there? Uh, we have Praise and Worship Night this Thursday at 6 a.m. PM. Yeah, probably wouldn't want to come here at 6 a.m. I mean, you could and, you know, say hi to Luke. I'll be you know. here, um, you know, working out and stuff. So, yeah, you could. But, yeah, it would be much better if you came at 6 p.m. this Thursday. Um, what a way to kick off the new year again, man. I, I absolutely love connecting with God through praise and worship. And uh, the time that we have together praying together is very uh, it's uniting in a very special way. So uh, if you guys have a chance to start off the new year this week. Uh, we'd love to have you at 6 p.m. this Thursday. Anything else? Uh, yeah, one more thing. We have Promise. Baptism Sunday. Um, Liam, you do realize that the river is frozen over and we're not going to get our um, baptismal tank outside? Hmm, well, it's a great thing we have a stage. Oh, <laughs> that's right. We have a stage. Funny how you brought that up. We're going to have our baptismal on the stage on Sunday, and we're going to fill it up. We have nice warm heaters that are going to warm it up. Uh, you know, the only thing that you probably might want to bring is a change of clothes, because afterwards going outside, it'd be really refreshing going out there uh, with being wet. But we're going to have a baptism this Sunday, and it's part of the message. It's part of all that we're doing on this upcoming Sunday, and that would be January 10th. So if you haven't been baptized, or maybe you have, and you just... Man, talk about an amazing way to start off the new year, saying, I was baptized, or I recommitted myself to following Jesus. Man, that's what the message is all going to be about, is Jesus' call for us to be baptized. And I'm so excited to be able to offer that. I thought, why not? It's the new year. I don't care if it's cold out. We're going to do it anyway. And if you, for some odd reason, uh, decide to do it that day, we'll have towels and we'll have a change of shirt for you here. So, uh I'm really looking forward to it. I hope that we'll have many people would join us in that celebration. So that's all we have this week, Liam. Thanks for uh, hosting us on Nexus News, and yeah. we'll do it again next week. How about that? Sounds good. Uh, we'll see you again next week, Nexus Church family. See you later. to
Hey, Nexus Church family, it's an honor to have you joining us again today. We are on our final week in our series we've titled The Line. Now, in the first week, we talked about how Jesus is this great defender, like any great back in football who is to protect the other team from scoring, to keep their score down. Jesus is like that great safety or cornerback that intercepts the path that Satan has us on, the path to the end zone of eternal wrath. And that is a dividing line. Nobody else has ever done it. Jesus stepped down in history to change the trajectory of all humankind. Then the second week we talked about how Jesus is a dividing line in that he did something that was so unlikely to happen, right? To fulfill all the prophecies, it was impossible, but yet God did it. He came down in human form, being fully God, fully man. We also talked about how Jesus is is very unique in that there is no other worldview like Jesus. The fact that he was both imminent and transcendent is something that no other religious worldview believes. It's a dividing line. It's what keeps so many from understanding Jesus. And then lastly, we talked about how he is a dividing line in that he came to the least likely. Those who he shouldn't have cared about, signifying that he came for all people. And now this week, we're taking a step beyond the fact that Jesus came to, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? As in, what does he call us to now? He is this dividing line that when he spoke, he split people right down the middle. He cut families in half. As in, there are some who could not believe but many did believe. And why was it that Jesus caused such a, a turning off from so many people? Well, we're going to read the very first words in the book of Luke that Jesus spoke. Really, I should say, the most powerful verses, the verses that when we read them, we take notice. And he spoke them to those who he grew up with in the same hometown as him. And these people responded a lot like what people respond to Jesus today. They didn't believe him. They, they were like, who, who, who are you? Aren't you that little boy Jesus that ran around and was a carpenter's son all those years? Like, what are you doing here? And so we're going to read from the book of Luke in just a moment. But first, I wanted to show a picture or a video of how people view him today in parallel to how people viewed him there. They're very similar. So take a quick clip here to see how we view him today. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie... Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> your tiny Jesus and your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, 
finish the brace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. That was a hell of a grace, man. Pretty you nailed that like a split hole. I appreciate that. I'm not going to lie to you. It felt good. All right. Now. I can't help it. It is a crazy clip, and I definitely don't endorse the show Talladega Nights or believe in the same way that they did. But man, that is truly the way so many people view Jesus. This little, tiny, innocent person that doesn't have any care about how we act, what we say, what we do. It is all for us, right? That is not at all how Jesus carried himself. Yes, he was gracious. Yes, he was kind and he was forgiving. But Jesus was so much more. And in fact, the people that he grew up with could not accept him any better or differently than how we struggle with it today in our own culture. So let's take a look at this passage, the passage where Jesus calls out his own followers, his own people that he grew up with. And this is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 16, and we'll begin by reading through verse 20. And as he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. Oh, I want to pause there just for a moment. So Jesus goes into the place of worship that day, and he goes to sit down. But as custom, him being a teacher as he was and, and was welcomed that, he gets up to read the passage for the day. Much like what we've had in the tradition of the church for years, where there would be a passage read for the day as the church service starts out. And as he gets to the passage, he reads it. Then he sits down. But then, he adds to it. He adds to it these powerful words. Today, this verse has been fulfilled. What was Jesus doing in this passage? He was proclaiming that he was God. And rightfully so, the people look to each other and like, what, what, that's, that's Joseph's kid, right? That's Mary's kid. He can't be God. Like, this is, this is impossible. They could not believe that Jesus was in fact God, fulfilling what was written in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Jesus proclaimed that he was God, and the people around him could not believe it. And so Jesus continues in this passage, and he says some 
pretty pointed things. So they're all speaking well of him. This is verse 22. And we're amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote a proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he goes into two distinct stories that we're going to go down in just a moment and take a look at what was he really referring to in these passages. And so he says, Truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own town, but I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. Yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up and drove him out of town and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him off the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So why were these people so enraged at Jesus? Right? They were pretty perturbed. By the fact that Jesus claimed he was God. But when he got up and he said, you're alike the people of Elijah's time. You're like the people of Elisha's time. They got enraged and went to kill him. His own neighbors, the people that he ran with the kids. He ran and was cared for by the moms. Right? Think of the, the people that you grew up around. Now, if you grew up in... Neighborhoods like myself, you grew up where everybody was kind of just family, really. I mean, you ran with the kids, they ran with you, you went over to their house to get babysat, and they did likewise, and it was just kind of one big family, right? These people were out to kill Jesus. What was it with this quoting of scriptures, what was it that caused them to be enraged? Well, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. And take a look at this first example of Elijah. This is found in, Elijah, or in 1 Kings chapter 17, and starting with verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Gilead, Gilead settlers, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him, leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded, and Elijah left and lived in the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the wadi. After a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Okay, so pretty severe drought going on here. No crops being grown, no water for, for beverages. Like, this is serious business. People are going to die. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Get up, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. She went to get it. He called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat and die, right? They're in the same predicament as the Israelites. Now, this is, again, foreign country where Elijah's at. He's going to the enemy territory, if you will. And so Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterwards, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to all the word of Elijah. 
Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Elijah. And so what does Jesus say? He says, there were certainly many widows in Israel, in the land of Israel, during the famine. And during this famine that we read in Elijah. Yet God sent him only to the widow in Zarephath, in Sidon. What you don't know about this, and you have to dig in history, is that this was the same region that was ruled by Jezebel's father. Now, many of you know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? He calls them down, and he slaughters all the false prophets, right? And then Jezebel is there and goes out and tries to murder Elijah. This wicked woman that caused many to perish, many prophets, many good, godly people to perish, was the one Elijah was sent to, that land, the enemy land, to cure or to heal or to provide a miracle for a widow and her son. Jesus is making a pretty powerful statement, right? Because you've rejected me as God, you are questioning my proclamation that the year of the Lord's favor has come. I'm to, to proclaim the good news and to heal and to do all the works that God called the Messiah to do. I am he. <laughs> you've rejected me. You're like all of Israel in the time of Elijah. You're being rejected by God. I can't be welcomed here. I'm going to others, right? But he wasn't done yet, right? What does he do next? He goes to the next great prophet right after Elijah, Elisha. And he does, does this wonderful parallel here where he again shares a story, a powerful story. And we pick this one up. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was an important man to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, there's so much in that little passage, that little section that we could go off today. But the point is, God allowed Israel's enemy to win over Israel. Israel had fallen away from God, and God was trying to work his, his ways to welcome them back, to get them back to the point where they would worship him again. And so he allowed Aram to have victory over the Israelites. And so one of his high commanders, a guy that was very, very important to him, ends up having leprosy. So the man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone to raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. Okay, so here we have this commander of an enemy of Israel goes out and kidnaps a young girl to bring him back, right? She said to her mistress in regards to Naaman's skin issue, if only my master were here with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of the skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. A large amount, right? He brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When the letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked him, I, God, killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me. And he will know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horse and chariots and stood at the door at Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. 
And of course, the story goes on from there, and Naaman doesn't want to do it because he's like, ah, I could have done this in my own country. Why do I have to come here to this low country, this, these servants of ours, our slaves, and go in their dirty water? I could have done it. And of course, they convinced him that like, if you were promised this, why wouldn't you do it? And he goes and does it, and he is healed. So Jesus uses this story once again to tell the people of his hometown, these people he grew up with, they should have trusted him, believed in him, that because you rejected me, I am leaving you, and I'm going to go heal others, right? Elisha didn't heal anybody else's skin disease in Israel. He healed a high official of the enemies. Jesus made it very clear that they had rejected him and God had now rejected them. A powerful way to put this very important thought that Jesus is a dividing line. He causes people to turn away who you would think were great followers. And now we give these people a hard time, right? We give them a hard time, but put yourself into their shoes, right? Like, imagine, I, I have had the privilege of, of being a kid's pastor and seeing these, these great kids grow up, and now they're adults themselves. Some of them are married. Some of them have kids in ministry, and I cannot imagine one of these kids that I had in kids' ministry come back to me years later and make this grandiose proclamation that God has called me to be a Messiah, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. I would have a lot of concern about that individual, right? And if I raised my concern with them, and then they came back and gave me a passage from the Scriptures, not just one, but two passages of Scripture saying, because you've rejected me as a Messiah, you are now like these horrible people in the Bible that God rejected because they didn't believe in me. You have to give a little bit of credit here to, to the people of this town because they saw Jesus as a baby, much like our video. And so they had a lot to weigh through, a lot to, to question and to be concerned about. So it is easy for us to look at others and point out their discrepancies without first looking at ours. What keeps us from following Jesus with all of our heart? What is it? Because for each of us, it's different, right? It's different. And so today, for the remainder of our time, we want to focus on what is it that Jesus calls us to? Because before we can question ourselves and are we following Jesus, we have to understand what is the call of Jesus? Because there's so many different thoughts and ideas out there of how does one follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, we're going to take a look at Jesus' own words. And we're going to discuss what did they mean? What did they say? Leonard Ravenhill, I think, put it perfectly. He said that if Jesus had preached the same message that ministers preach today, he would have never been crucified. What does that mean? It's not a slam on preachers. It's the fact that Jesus said some pretty harsh words. He said some things that truly divided humanity. He, he put this line down the middle and said, here it is. If you're going to be a follower of me, this is what it means. And it's clear. We can't question it. We can't say, oh, you know, there's a little gray here. We, we can get away with this. No, Jesus made it clear. You're either on this side or you're not. You can't be straddling that line. You can't be on the fence about this. But before we dig into 
what it is that Jesus calls us to as followers, we have to first clearly understand that Jesus doesn't ask us to earn our salvation. We can't work hard enough to get our salvation. This is, what we're talking about today has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it this way, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. This is a gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, right? It's important to understand that because uh, if you've been in the, the faith long enough, it's so easy to confuse what does our actions do with salvation? Like, where is that line at? And I want to proclaim very clearly today, salvation is a free gift, but out of a heart of gratitude, we want to live the way God asks us to live, not thinking that we're doing this to keep our salvation, but we're doing this out of a thanksgiving towards God. We want to give Him all of our life. We want to sacrifice it all because we know we're not our own anymore. And so with that, let's go to Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and we're going to hear a very clear call from Jesus to His followers and to us today about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So calling to the crowds along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to be a follower after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Man, Jesus makes it so clear. We must give all of our life to him, right? Not because we want to keep ourselves saved, if you will. He asks us to give our lives out of honor, out of love, out of a desire to live for Him. He requires us to leave behind our life and follow Him. I like how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So we have this idea that when we are saved, when we pick up that salvation, that gift from Jesus that He has given us, we have been given the Holy Spirit. And now we have the Holy Spirit. We have God Himself living in us. Therefore, we don't belong to ourselves, as Paul says, we, our body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And so our lives belong to Jesus, and He, He expects that we will give Him complete control of every aspect of our life, every piece, our thoughts, our actions, our motives, our desires, we're to give it all to Him. He doesn't demand perfection. He demands that we continually be a vessel that is willing to change, as, as Paul says it in Romans 12, that we're being transformed. We're constantly being changed. Again, we can't do it on our own. We have to be open to allowing Him to do the work inside of us. Which honestly, if, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, it'd be so much easier if we could be this, this moralist, right? This, we're going to go and do better because we got the ability to. Like, it'd be so much easier than to say, I got to let go of this. I, I got to step back and I got to allow God to work in me because I can't do this. It's so much harder to give up control and allow somebody else to call the shots. But that's what God is asking us. He's not asking us to do better or to work harder, he's asking us to let go. Let go of control and allow him 
complete access, complete control. It's a whole different animal. That's hard. That's hard. But that's what Jesus asks us to. That is why he's such a dividing line because especially in, in, in this Western culture that we live in, it's really, really, really hard to let go of control. We've earned everything, right? That's the American way. It's blood, sweat, tears. It's on our backs we built this country. And it's, it is absolutely an honorable thing. But when it comes to faith, God says, you can't earn it. You can't keep it by doing this. No, you've got to let go of control and allow me to have the control. And here's the beautiful thing, and it's so hard to get our minds wrapped around us. The, the enemy just doesn't want us to get this. The beautiful thing today is that, again, that first part of the first Corinthians says, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? And we don't have much time today, but I want to briefly highlight for you as fast as I possibly can what the Holy Spirit does for you, right? When you let go of control, when you get to that point where you're like, I'm going to do this. God, I'm going to do this. I need your help, but I'm going to let go of control. Here's what he gives you. He gives you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, and he gives you the ability to, as, as Jesus says himself, to teach you and to remind you how to live for God, right? So often we're like, there's so much in the Bible. There's so many things that we need to do or don't do, and God's not, God's not asking you to be able to do it all. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to help you. Let's read just quickly John chapter 14, verse 15. And so Jesus came to Nazareth where, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong one. <laughs> Let's try John 14, not Luke 4. <laughs> and so, the Lord, <laughs> here we go. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you, right? It's exactly what Paul just said in Corinthians. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I will live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will be, reveal myself to him. And Judas said to him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The words that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So this Holy Spirit that dwells in you will teach you and remind you. He also empowers you, right? He just doesn't give you all the knowledge of here's what you need to do or here's where you need to go and this is how you act. No, he empowers you as well. 2 Corinthians 3.18 states that the Holy Spirit makes us more and more like him, that's God, as we are changed into his glorious image. That's the Holy Spirit's role. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power, love, and self-discipline. Through the Holy Spirit, you've been given the power to love and to have self-discipline, to do the works of the ministry, right? And then Galatians 5, 16 through 25, I'll just quote this for you. You can go back and read it for yourself. But this is talking about the gifts or the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and right on and on. 
that isn't something that you can just go and do yourself. I don't know about you. Maybe you're a really good person. Maybe you're like the, the most moral person that's ever lived and you can do all those things. But for the rest of us, I'm guessing that includes you, we can't do that on our own. That is a fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you when you have given up your abilities, your, your moral ability to fight and you say, I need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you live in me. I need to spend time with you. I need to cultivate that, that power that's inside of me, that's been given to me, that now I have living in me. When I cultivate that spirit through prayer, through worship, through spending time in God's word, when you do those things, you cultivate that, you, you help that to be developed, you now have those gifts. You have been given power by the Holy Spirit to live according to the call of Jesus. Yes, he is a dividing line. Yes, he has said very stern things of how we are to live, but he doesn't leave us powerless. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us and to teach us and to help us to know how to live for him. He's that one that, that works in your spirit and says, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. I don't know about you, but when I'm walking down the road and I see somebody, I'm the first thing that, doesn't, that comes to my mind isn't I should go help that person, but the Holy Spirit will do that. And when I have somebody acting out against me, the first thing that comes back to my mind isn't I should love them. No, I want to pound them, right? Like when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he pushes away those fleshly things that Yet your spirit is always fighting against, and he gives you the ability, he powers you to do what God asks you to do. It's a beautiful thing. And I love how A.W. Tozer put it. He's just so great with words, and I know I've used this before, but he says, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that is needed to be all that God desires us to be. And so today, maybe you're feeling like, Maybe you're on the wrong side of that dividing line, or maybe you're straddling that line today. I want to ask you, as the worship team will come back and, and play one more song for us, and we close down, this is a time of reflection for you. First of all, would you ask God to reveal to you, where am I at? Because if you're anything like me at all, you can go down a path so long and not even realize that you're off the track, that you're on the wrong side of the line. Like, you haven't denied yourself, picked up your cross and followed him. You've been living for yourself. You've been selfish. Or you're, you're living for things in this world. Our family's not a bad thing, but when it takes precedence over God and his call, We've crossed the line. We need to get back. Now, again, this doesn't mean that your salvation's gone. You need to go back and repent and ask for forgiveness of your sins and and go down that road again. Maybe for some people, they have gotten that far. But for most of us, our hearts are right. We love Jesus. We want to serve him. But we all get busy. We all get distracted. The enemy just loves to make hell on earth for God's followers. He doesn't want us to have success and power in this life. And so if you're anything like me and and you need to be corrected sometimes, the Holy Spirit's there right now in your presence, inside of you, right? He's living inside of you. And he wants to speak to you. Will you allow him to speak to you, to teach you, to remind you of how he wants you to live. And then after you spend some time processing that, maybe there's tears involved. Maybe you need to really get honest with him and say, man, I've, I've been really living selfishly. I haven't been generous with my finances or I haven't been kind to my kids or coworkers. I haven't been honest to other people. I've been disloyal to some. The list is endless. Would you just get honest with God? And if he so leads you, will you get honest with others? And then, will you ask him to empower you? You see, you can't do this on your own, friends. You can try. You can work hard. But in the end, 
only the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to live the kind of life God asks you to live. So will you do that today? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to remind you, to teach you, and to empower you? Father, thank you for your people. I thank you for your son, your daughter who's listening right now and getting honest with you, saying, God, reveal to me. And maybe they already are aware. And now they're asking, God, empower me. Empower me to do this one thing. This one thing. We're just focusing on one thing right now. What is it? Maybe it's to read the Bible and get back to your word. Maybe it's to spend time in your presence to just speak to you and let you speak to, to us. You see, our hearts have to be right with you before we can be right with anybody else. So I just pray that you will guide your son, your daughter, right now in the path that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to having you join us again next week.